Welcome to Thursday's Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. So much to get to today. I'll have Phil Miller in a little bit. He covers the Twins for the Star Tribune. I'm about a week away from the start of the season, if you can believe it. And so Phil's going to help us break down what's going on there, the Alex Kirilov uh, demotion to the minors, everything Twins related. Phil will help us get into that. But first, what did I miss? I have a new, I have a new love in sports right now, and I don't know how long it's going to last. Maybe it'll last as long as my infatuation with the Wolves going and trading for John Collins, um, which is fading. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more, too, uh, later on with the uh, trade dead- some trade deadline talk. Trade deadline is also today. But uh, my new love is the NCAA men's basketball uh, transfer portal. Um, it's not just men's basketball, obviously. It's, 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 all, it's all around college sports now. But it is... You you had recruiting, right? Recruiting was this thing in college sports where you know you could follow it, you know, all year long. You you, you what? Where are the high school players going to go? What's going to happen to to your favorite local athlete? Where are they going to go? And that, that that still exists, but that's a long process, right? That's that's kind of like uh, I narrowed my list to seven. I narrowed my list to twenty. And now we're going to do this, and then you know months later, going to make a decision. Transfer portal is like college free agency, and I am here for it. I I mean I. I love it. I, I I wish part of me thinks I shouldn't love it because it's kind of like someone takes a chance on a player who isn't that great or who is lightly recruited out of high school, and instead of staying there all four years, they say, "Well, I I you know I've I've improved. I've I've got a chance to upgrade my position. I'm going to go to a different school. I'm going to enter the transfer portal." And the transfer portal is basically where players put their names in and say, "I intend to transfer." It's so much different than it used to be with the transfer portal came in a few years ago and now there's you know NCA is letting students you know transfer more easily more freely a lot of times they're getting waivers there might be you know overarching rules where there's you know free transfers things like that so you can switch teams more quickly and be eligible more immediately than ever before what does that mean for the Gophers men's basketball team well all of a sudden on Wednesday we got Marcus Fuller reporting the Gophers and new head coach Ben Johnson just reaching out left and right to to players in the transfer portal. You got uh, the the guy that I love the most is this guy from Northern State who went to Matamida Parker Fox, getting recruited by a lot of high majors. Now he's got a year left after you know really dominating the Division two level. Marcus talked to to Parker Fox. I was like he's just begging to be um, recruited heavily by the Gophers, even if he's getting a lot of other offers. The Gophers have reached out. They have talked to him. Marcus reported. Um, you know, and his his story is just great. Uh, he he seems you know genuinely happy about what what he's done, but now he now he's going to move on. So what if the Gophers get someone like Parker Fox, who you know can shoot the ball a little, who averaged twenty two points last year. He's you know averaged almost ten rebounds, block shots, dunks the ball all over the place. That's the kind of guy that can help you right away, and that's that's probably what Ben Johnson's going to need because the transfer portal cuts both ways. He's probably going to lose some of last year's Gophers players to the transfer portal. Maybe most notably, Jamal Mashburn Jr. looks like he's in the mix over there. Marcus Carr might even stay in college basketball but go somewhere else. But it's not just not just Fox, not just the fantastic Mr. Fox that's in the portal. Uh, Marcus reporting George Washington, sophomore forward Jamison Battle, averaged 17 points this year, former D-less All-Star. He's expected to talk to Johnson today on a video call. 
Uh, former Hopkins guard from Ball State, Ish Elamin, contacted by the Gophers, Marcus reporting. And Race Thompson would be a big get from Armstrong, played at Indiana. He entered the portal Wednesday. Sounds like the Gophers have already reached out. This is like college free agency. It's it's amazing. It's so much different than what we grew up with in terms of how players move back and forth from team to team, from school to school. So much easier. And, you know, part of it seems a little unseemly, seems a little like, you know, the rich get richer, you know. But part of it is athletes should be able to improve their situation. If you went somewhere and it's not working out, the playing time isn't there, your coach leaves, or you are, you know, less highly regarded coming out of high school like Parker Fox, you only have one offer to play basketball and it's from a Division II school, Northern State. Nothing against Northern State, but that's not, you know, that's not usually your path to the NBA or future a future career in basketball. If you play there for three years, you give them all you've got, why shouldn't you be able to go somewhere else? So I think it's I think this is it's a fascinating development in college sports and something that really could be a key part of Ben Johnson's recruiting. And let's let's face it too, to get players who are going to help right away, Ben Johnson kind of needs to recruit players who were like Ben Johnson, right? Ben Johnson was a, a De La Salle player, didn't go to the Gophers right away. He went to Northwestern, started there for two years. The coach who recruited him, Kevin O'Neill, he leaves. So then what happens? Well, I want to come back home. Goes back to the Gophers, plays his final two years there. Much better experience. Now he's the head coach there. He's going to have to get guys, A, first off, who don't don't leave. Get the guys right out of high school. But if they want to change, if they want to go somewhere else, that transfer portal is there. It's college free agency. It's, it's, it's completely crazy to me that this is the way things are run right now. But it's probably more fair than it ever was before to the student-athlete. And for that reason, and for just the sheer interestingness of it and the kind of watching player movement part of it, I am absolutely loving it. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Phil Miller, Twins beat writer. Phil, let's jump right into the news from earlier this week. Um, maybe not a, a shock based on you know the low batting average, but Alex Kirilov sent down to the minors. Um, you know their top hitting prospect, someone who is in you know in the mix at least to be one of their you know starting outfielders. Your Thoughts on that level of surprise, and then we'll get into kind of what it means beyond that for uh, for the outfield competition. Well, I'm, I'll admit I was shocked. I was definitely shocked. Uh, I uh, uh, I took their trying him at first base several times. He played first base as much as he played the outfield, and I took that as a sign that uh, that he had made the team and that they were using the outfield innings to uh, try other guys and letting him uh, get used to. Uh, a position where he might back up Miguel Sano as well. We get reporters get mocked by uh, the manager and the pitching coach and the hitting coach uh, for asking about results in spring training and about, uh, you know, specifically this team, uh, some of the best players on the team are not hitting this spring. And if you ask about that, you know, Max Kepler hasn't had a hit in three weeks. Uh, the twins almost seem offended. Rocco uh, will lecture you about uh, where you don't, I don't even pay attention to that. Uh, results don't matter. Um, and it's true that a week from a week from today, uh, none of it matters and the season starts fresh, but it turns out that in Kirilov's uh, case, 
the results did matter. Um, that uh, the fact that he wasn't hitting this spring and looked a little uncomfortable at the plate contrasted with the fact that the guys uh, also in competition for that outfield spot, uh, Brent Rooker, uh, to some extent, Jake Cave, but also uh, Kim uh, Broxton and certainly Kyle Garlick have looked very good and are hitting and uh, are making their case. Combine that with he has not been it. Uh, he's not played a game at AAA. I think they just decided let's bring him to the major leagues when he is at his most confident. Let's get him. Uh, let's get him going. Let's get him hitting. Let's uh, let him settle in. It's only in St. Paul. Uh, so for the time being, uh, he will spend the start of the season in uh, in AAA, and we'll see uh, who takes his spot. Is it a concern development-wise? I thought maybe one of the reasons he could stick was that there's not a AAA season for a month or so after right. the regular season, right? So he's just going to be there kind of in their extended, you know, kind of what they were doing last year where it seemed like he, he did fine. He got prepared enough over there that he could start game two of the playoff series and make his debut that way. But is there a – I mean, if, if they're talking about wanting him to get some kind of seasoning, does that push him back? even further into, you know, May or June before we see him because they want him to play some actual AAA games? I think absolutely. Uh, uh, and he wasn't just uh, doing well at uh, the camp last year. Uh, Toby Gardenhire told me he was hitting above 500 for much of it, that uh, he was just absolutely destroying their pitching. Um, I think that, that's probably what they were hoping he would do now, um, this year. Now he is going to, you're right, he's going to spend a month just doing practice, just doing workout. It's, it's like the longest spring training of his life. Well, compared to last summer, I suppose. Um, and uh, and they were hoping to maybe schedule a couple of games with uh, the Brewers uh, team in Appleton. But uh, it, yeah, for mostly, most of it, it's just going to be uh, a daily workout and sit around. I think definitely they will want him to play some games. So I would, I, I definitely think that this pushes him back into June and uh, maybe midseason. Depending, injuries, injuries can change that. Uh, and uh, he will be, available at St. Paul uh, on a moment's notice or a light rail ride notice. But uh, yeah, I think now that they made the decision, they want him to be ramped up. And Rocco said it two or three times yesterday. We want him to be at his peak, at his, at his most confident. So he can step right in uh, when he's ready for that job. So performance wise, this, this certainly seems warranted, but there will still be suspicious twins fans who will link this to, you know, service time and, you know, future arbitration, free agency eligibility. Derek Falvey said, no, that's not the case. And they can obviously point to his what 129 batting average as, as evidence that this is, you know, not nothing, no shenanigans here. That, that right. said, do you, I mean, you, you've, I'm sure you've heard that as well. Where do you, where do you think that that falls in any of their thinking? Well, even more than that, he has not played a triple a game. Uh, it is jumping a level. I, I, if, if this is indeed service time manipulation, uh, it's it's certainly they have deniability because uh, he has not uh, played the AAA level. Um, I have had a, a, a team official uh, tell me off the record that uh, they think the rules will be changed in six years, that they're not planning. They're not making decisions now with the 2027 and 2028 seasons in mind. So uh, he's a very good prospect. I, I don't know that he is somebody that they would necessarily bend the rules for that way. I, uh, there are certain cases where you can see that that is true for some teams, but I, I don't know that they think Kirloff is going to be 
the star player of this team half a dozen years from now. And, um, you know, I, he has not looked good this spring compared to the other outfield candidates. Uh, I am willing to give them the uh, benefit of the doubt that it was a baseball decision uh, more than anything else. It, it, it is a nice benefit, though, if it turns out that, you know, he is the second coming of Mike Trout, that um, you've delayed his uh, free agency by a year. Um, last thing on the outfield subject. So where does this leave them? You, you mentioned, you know, Brent Rooker's been hitting well, Kyle Garlick, kind of the surprise of camp. You got Keon Broxson, who's good defensively. We know Jake Cave. We kind of know what he can do. Is this just kind of a, you know, by committee? Who, who do you think makes the team? Who's the, I mean, opening day, you know, outfield doesn't, doesn't matter a whole lot necessarily, but who do you think gets the the bulk of the time or how do they spread this around without Kirilov in the mix? Well, I think that there is some thought that uh, Jake Cave is a left-handed hitter and either Rooker or Garlic, uh, who is more of a veteran player and uh, has a couple dozen, a few dozen big league uh, games experience, but is a real power hitter and, and has shown that this spring, that they form a nice platoon. I would be surprised if anybody plays left field five days a week. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if four guys play it uh, every week. If you, if uh, you count Louie Arise and if Willens Astadio makes the team, I, Rocco uh, likes moving people around, but I would guess that uh, Brent Rooker and uh, gets the most at bats and Jake Cave probably pretty close. Is Garlic a better defensive player than Rooker or are they comparable in that regard? I think he probably is a little better. They, uh, Rocco has mentioned his athleticism uh, a couple of times. Uh, they have played him in center field uh, once or twice. Um, I think they, I don't think they see him as uh, a guy that can play center field very much. They would rather Cave be out there in that case. But uh, um, I think they're sold on him being enough of a defender, better than Rooker. But I think Rooker hits enough where uh, he uh, and plays it well enough that uh that they would trust him out there interesting spring for them you know coming off of two postseason appearances but obviously last year being a much different year trying to you know have a more normal spring this year or whatever that entails maybe give me some of your impressions from being down in florida for so long what are some of the surprises maybe what are some of the things that are kind of still sorting themselves out um well i can tell you i'm glad i cover a team that is trying because uh there are teams that are not. Um, the Twins have played the Pirates and the Orioles in the last few days. And, uh, boy, that's a, that's a long six months those beat writers have ahead of them. Uh, it's uh, a lot more interesting to cover a, uh, a winning team. And I think the Twins are going to uh, do quite a bit of winning, even though they uh, don't, don't, uh, aren't doing it right now, uh, having kind of an up-and-down spring. But it's, it looks like a, uh, a very talented team. I the lineup should be better than it was last year, and the uh, starting rotation should be better than it was last year. And the bullpen might be better uh, than it was last year, but the bullpen will be built more for the 2021 season, which is going to be different than most seasons because of how different 2020 was. So a little more than a week out still from the start of the regular season. So there's not a whole lot of decisions left to be made, I imagine. But what are some of the things that you think we can say with confidence about this roster and this team? Do they carry four outfielders or five? Five might 
open the door for uh, Kyle Garlick, like I said, who looks like, if nothing else, he'd be a, uh, a great pinch hitter off of the bench. Or it's starting to look like they really are sold on Willens Ascadio, who uh, is having a great spring. He's in the middle of everything. Uh, uh, his uh, bowl in a china shop uh, approach, you just, you know, he's like a, uh, a great hockey player on the ice. You just watch him all the time, uh, wherever he is. Whether or not he makes the team is uh, still in question. And then they still have uh, half a dozen pitchers to sort out in the bullpen. I, I don't think there'll be any real big surprises in the bullpen, but um, there are a couple of uh, candidates that, uh, that could show up. Uh, Brandon Waddell has, uh, has impressed them. Uh, Ian Hamilton has, uh, has had his moments, although I, I think that those are guys that will be, like I say, the, uh, the end of the bullpen that will be in and out, uh, up and down, um, probably um, almost on a week-to-week basis. Do you uh, talking to Patrick Royce on this show a few days ago? He he's been he was impressed with the top of the rotation with the way Barrios and Maeda are throwing the ball. Where, where do you? I mean, Maeda was great last year already. He was you know, second in Cy Young voting, so there wasn't a whole lot of place for him to go. But where do you where do you put? I guess Barrios in particular, and the kind of where they look one two one two three at the top of the rotation because that feels like it's going to be not just a regular season question, but, you know, trade deadline question, October question, like, do they have enough, do they have enough pitching at the top and and have those guys even taken another jump forward um, from, from what we saw at the end of last year? You know, Kenta Maeda was Cy Young runner up last year and has looked better this year. Uh, he has been, he has been absurdly good uh, this spring. He has given up next to nothing. Uh, the one thing about those two guys at the top, Maeda and Braille's is there are probably not, Two more proud pitchers on the team. Two more, two guys that take seriously the role of ace. And I am the best pitcher, and I am the leader of the staff. It's funny that there are that there are two of them. Uh, I I don't think you would ever say it, but I think Jose is uh, stung a little bit by the fact that he has been supplanted as the opening day starter, uh, but with uh, you know with good reason. Uh, I. It, I don't know. Camp optimism uh, is ubiquitous every year, uh, but I do think the Twins come out of camp thinking these two guys are looking like uh, one of the best one-two in the top in the league, and uh, maybe the best one-two the Twins have had in, I guess, Santana and Liriano uh, 15 years ago. So, yeah, they have been they have just been uh, tremendous, and I, I think the Twins feel like the the rotation behind them is uh, better this year than last year. You know, uh, they take out Rizzi uh, kind of had a spoiled season uh, with all his injuries. Uh, maybe that will be a problem this year, but uh, they like Shoemaker. They like uh, Jay Happ and, uh, and uh, Dobnak has, has been uh, just as good as he was at the start of last season. If you, I don't know if people remember, but, First month and a half last year, yeah. Dominic had an ERA under three, maybe under two. Um, and he looks, uh, he's added a pitch, a new slider, and he looks uh, just as good as ever. And that's your fifth to sixth starter. I think the Twins rotation is something to uh, be pretty optimistic about whether or not Rocco lets them pitch more than uh, 75 or 80 pitches at a time. 
might be the question, especially in April and May. Bullpen wise, that's always a work in progress. It feels like it's the most fluid thing from year to year. They can add, they can subtract. You get, you know, call ups, you get, you know, matchups and, you know, ride the hot hand for a little while. But if you're going into the season right now and you're going to imagine uh, a close game on opening day, how do you think, you know, let's say that, let's, you know, let's say you get through five or six innings. How do you think the, what's the pecking order? How do you think they, how do you think Rocco deploys? Who's he got the most confidence in right now to finish a game, you know, with three or four pitchers at the, at the back end? Uh, Taylor Rogers, uh, I would think, um, you know, they signed Alex Colomay, who uh, is a, is a well-established closer. And he has, uh, he has scuffled uh, quite a bit this spring. Uh, I see his ERA is uh, under eight now, but he has, uh, he has given up runs in uh, three or four of his uh, outings. He's getting a lot of work, but uh, with mixed results. So, again, they say don't look at the results. Uh, it's it's how his pitches have looked. And, don't look uh, at the results unless they're good. Well, welcome to my world. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so, I, I do think they are going to try to go with column A um, in uh, late in games. Uh, you, you know, him and Rogers uh, form a pretty good uh right-left pair if Colome is what he has been before. Colome's an interesting guy because he doesn't throw the ball that hard, and yet um, nobody makes uh, hard contact with him. It, it is He has given up some line shots this spring, but they seem pretty content with uh, his progress. Uh, um, talked to West Johnson the other day, and uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to hear a discouraging word about Colome. He's impressed with what he's seen. Same kind of goes for uh, Hansel Robles, who has had good outings and bad. He's given up runs four four times, I think, this spring, okay. which is not ideal, but he does seem to be coming around. One thing I think Lavelle talked about a couple of weeks ago was they never really replaced the power arm of, of Trevor May. Do you feel like they haven't, you know, it's such a, it's such a matchup game sometimes. It's a one or two hitter kind of thing, you know, sixth or seventh inning. Do, who, who, who gets, who is that, is that a Duffy role still, or who, who kind of comes out and puts out a fire with, you know, 98 and just blows somebody away? Well, Duffy's definitely the fireman. Uh, 98 is uh, extending him a little bit. He's uh, more of a 96 guy uh, when he, uh, or theoretically, he hasn't, he hasn't come close to that this spring, but again, they don't, they don't seem pretty worried. Duffy's funny because uh, he's been using his curveball a lot this spring too. Uh, just, um, working on things he uh even is using the uh the slow slow curve is that the uh, one he used in like tw- is that the one he used in like 2015 when he was a starter uh, yes uh yes he's uh kind of uh reinvented that uh i, I think emboldened by uh zach Granke's uh willingness to use it um he has uh kind of pulled that out so uh i i think duffy is a fireman you're right they don't have uh, they don't have the 100-mile-an-hour guy that uh, a lot of teams have. Um, they did have that guy, but they traded him from Penta Maeda, so uh, I think they're okay with that. Uh, okay. Any final thoughts? Anything else uh, down in Florida as you kind of get ready to you know, ex- end the extended run down there and, and get to get this regular season cranked up? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. My, uh, my final thought is that uh, I'm struck by how you focus on the regular season uh, all spring, and yet we all know that uh, nothing matters until October for this team. Uh, nobody, uh, it's pretty clear that the fans are no longer impressed with making the playoffs. So uh, I'm interested to see how 
their playoff streak hangs over them, I guess, as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, one week uh, to go and, uh, and then six more months until we find out. <laughs> Good stuff, Phil Miller. Good catching up with you. I'm sure we'll talk a lot over the next six months, um, but uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy some more sunshine and we'll, we'll talk to you down the road soon. All right, Mike. Good to be with you. Okay, we talked about the NCAA transfer portal earlier on in the show. Now we got to talk about the NBA trade deadline, player movement in basketball all over the place. And, you know, frankly, two teams, Gophers and Timberwolves, had both their head coaches on Wednesday's show. They got a lot they got a lot to move. They got a lot to to work on. Um, I don't want to make light of the trade deadline because it, it you know, anytime a player is moving from place to place involuntarily, unlike the transfer portal, but you know, a player maybe doesn't want to get traded. Uh, that, that's that's you know that that's that's got to be nerve wracking. I wouldn't want to you know just be moved to a different newspaper. Uh, just you know, so, hey, suddenly you're you're going to uh, the Baltimore Sun. Like, okay, I, I guess I'll do that. I'll, I'll keep doing my job. But the Wolves need help. They they clearly have a roster imbalance and. They clearly need some kind of infusion of talent. Now, whether they do something at the deadline today, we'll see. They definitely need an infusion of talent. And I can tell you that if they don't get it, they're going to spin it and say, well, we got D'Angelo Russell and uh, Malik Beasley coming back. That's kind of like our trade deadline acquisitions, which was actually their trade trade deadline acquisitions last year. But you can argue that they want to see what these guys are going to look like in, you know, in this year's system. This brings me to a question from, uh, from Joran. He sent this to me a couple of weeks ago, and I've been kind of holding on to it until the best time to use it. He says, first, hi, love the podcast. Haven't missed one yet. Thank you, Joran. Everybody should, everybody should be like Joran, but uh, hopefully you, you are listening. If you are, You're definitely listening if you're hearing this right now. I have a question. How much different would the Wolves be if D'Lo, D'Angelo Russell, just signed with us instead of Golden State? I said, interest, that's an interesting question because, you know, in one part, people are really nervous about the the top three protected pick that they had to send out in the gold in the in the trade with in the trade with Golden State that sent Andrew Wiggins and that pick for D'Angelo Russell. Now Andrew Wiggins was playing much better earlier this year, making the trade look really lopsided, especially when D'Lo was struggling and then got hurt. Uh, newsflash: big surprise. Andrew Wiggins has uh, fallen back to earth, has regressed to the mean. People in Golden State starting to understand the full scope of the Andrew Wiggins experience. Still like Andrew Wiggins as a person. But as a player, he is maddeningly inconsistent, and that has continued in Golden State. But back to the original question: so they had to, they, they, the Wolves pursued D'Angelo Russell in free agency a couple summers ago, didn't get him, but then ended up trading for him, the, like the aforementioned deal, Andrew Wiggins and that number one pick. I don't think you blame him because they kind of had to do it this way. Ultimately, you were going to have to move Wiggins at some point, I think, in order to be able to get Russell because. Otherwise, there's a salary problem. You got to have a salary match first of all, because D'Angelo Russell is making a lot of money. He's making a max contract, just like Wiggins. So all along, the trade that probably made the most sense was involving Wiggins and Russell instead of just flat out signing Russell. Because if you flat out sign Russell, you've got Russell and Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. You're not going to be able to pay all of those guys, at least not under the salary cap, at least not under the luxury tax threshold. Which then you're talking about paying a whole lot of money for a team that's unproven. Um, so I think ultimately, no, you don't blame D'Lo. That was kind of the way the trade had to go down. Maybe the groundwork was even laid in free agency where you say, we want you, we're going to keep coming after you, and this is how we're going to be able to do it ultimately. And that's how the Wolves did get it done. Now, did it work? We don't even know yet. We've only seen D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns play like five games together still. Hopefully Russell comes back soon. 
Hopefully we get like a 25-game sample at the end of this season with Russell and see how he and Towns can play together as, as well as possible. But, you know, we don't blame him for that trade. It was more of a, uh, more of a circumstance that had to happen. Let's end things with the cooler. A little homage to the forgotten man on the wild, Cam Talbot. Everybody was capo-cacking in this, um, scoring a whole bunch of goals. That, when the Wild got hot, you know, a few weeks ago, Talbot was out for a while, only played like two games, I think, in February. Has a couple good games after he comes back, um, and then the Wild get totally, they get their doors blown off in Colorado, right? Um, Talbot plays one of those games, they lose 5-1, but he takes like 50, shot, 50 shots on him. Capo-cacking same thing, 6 nothing game. So they come back home, who's going to start in goal? Well, Talbot gets the start against Anaheim a few nights ago nice steadying two to one win kind of writes the ship right Wednesday night rematch with Anaheim same thing three to two win saves 52 out of the 55 shots in both of those games combined Wild get two very important wins that's four out of five really good games for Cam for Cam Talbot in his last you know out of his last five games there's four really rock solid starts wins for him so they're going to need two goalies this season, no doubt about it. You can think that Capo Kakinen's the number one, that he has sub- supplanted Cam Talbot, but I think they kind of have a sharing system that's working for them, especially in a year where they're playing a lot of back-to-backs, they're playing a compressed schedule. You're going to need both those goalies. And they can sort itself out if and when do they get to the postseason, but for right now, absolutely critical to have two good goaltenders, and Cam Talbot absolutely delivered two very good performances when they needed it for them this week. That'll do it for today. Friday show should have Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer. He will be a five-time guest. I still got to get him that five-timers jacket. Working on that right now. He'll break down the Timberwolves trade deadline and other matters related to the Wolves. Probably talk some college basketball heading into a big weekend and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Thanks for listening to Daily Delivery. Subscribe to StarTribune.com and we will see you again on Friday.